I'm Dave Rowe. Welcome to the latest edition of the Calgary Stampeder podcast. If you've been following the podcast, you know that Jock and I love to walk down memory lane talking about great Stampeder players, great Stampeder teams of the past. But let's face it, hey, we're not that old. Our memories only go back to the 90s, maybe the late 80s. If you want to go back further and further in Stampeder history, all the way back to the early days in the 30s, there's only one guy to talk to, and that is Daryl Slade. Slade has been a longtime member of the Calgary media. He's sort of an unofficial historian of the Calgary Stampeders. Jock had a chance to sit down and have an extended chat with Daryl about uh, the early days right up until now. It's a real pleasure on the Calgary Stampeder podcast to be joined by Stampeder historian Daryl Slade. Who better to reminisce about the Calgary Stampeder Football Club than the guy that basically has written books on the football club, and he calls himself the pigskin pack rat. So, so I guess this is only fitting that you join us in the Calgary Stampeder podcast. Daryl, how you doing today? Great. Thanks, Chuck. Well, you know, let, let, let's go back because, you know, you wrote a book called The Stampeders Year of the Horse, and you went all the way back to the birthplace, you know, 1936. Uh, tell us the history. How did the Calgary Stampeders actually get started? Well, there were many teams over the years, right back to about 1908 or so, that different teams, and then they'd fold, another one would come in, and so on. They went through lots of different names and so on, and then they became the Bronx in 1935, and then they folded for the war after 1940 and then after the war uh former regina then regina rough riders uh player dean griffing uh, in the fall of 45 when the war wound down he wanted to get a team going back here in calgary and so he um he got together a bunch of guys and they put together what they call a co-op team basically everybody sort of contributed and if there was any profits they'd all share it wasn't much but it was a basically a very semi-amateur team yeah. and um so anyway, they, they started out in 45. They was too late to play any league games, so they played one exhibition game against the Rough Riders, and then they played uh, a two-game total point semifinal and then a Western final, and uh, they lost in a, a tough Western final. And then, then they from the next year on, from 46 on, they played a full schedule and everything. And actually, to be quite honest, the Stampeders have never not played a regular season or playoff game as scheduled. They may be a different day because of like 9-11. They moved it back three days right. in, in uh, 2001. But other than that, they have played every game on their schedule since 1945. Well, you are a historian, but, uh, you know, you're not old enough to be around for the 1948 team. But, you know, and, and it's so tough to compare eras. But what made that 1948 team so special? Because they were undefeated. They were perfect. You know, 12-0. and 0, they, they win the Grey Cup. You know, that's where the big Grey Cup parties, uh, you know, really started. Um, you know, in the research that you've done on that 48 team, what made them so special? Well, what they did was they... they, uh, they... They had the, the team, like I said, with Dean Griffin in 1945, and then he coached through the 47 season. They wanted to, to make it a, a more professional organization, and so they looked at uh, who they could bring in as a, as a coach and everything, and they brought in Les Lear, who had uh, played with the Cleveland uh, Rams, and then the Los Angeles. They moved to Los Angeles Rams, and so he'd played in the NFL. He'd been a big star in Winnipeg prior to the war. And so they brought in somebody like that. They felt he was the best guy to bring in players from everywhere. He brought in guys like Woody Strode uh, and uh, people like that. They brought back Paul Rowe, who had been a big star prior to the war with the Bronx and then with the Stampeders. And so anyway, they brought in a lot of guys. Like, But Les Lear was the key thing bringing him in. 
And he put together, didn't keep that many players from 47. And he brought in all these new guys and brought in a whole bunch of guys from Vancouver that were stars, Pete Thodos and, uh, and said Giles and a bunch of those guys. And he brought in a really good, solid squad. And, uh, and they 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 had a couple of real close games. They didn't just walk over everybody. They had they almost got beaten by Regina a couple of times. Okay. And uh, so they uh, they but they put together like you say the unbeaten team, and uh, they were definitely favored. And they they won the West, and then they got into the Grey Cup, and uh, and uh, they were uh, they were not favored. They were heavily underdog. Really. Uh, team. And uh, but in that game, I think uh, Ottawa made. I believe seven turnovers, and uh, so it, it was a it, it was and it was a icy field and everything. But the but the turnovers by it by uh, Ottawa Rough Riders really contributed to a lot of the plays Calgary made. But that's no question the Stampeders did play very well that year, and they were deserving of it. And of course, nobody has been undefeated since. No, that that's so true. They went to the Grey Cup the year after too in 1949, but they lost to the Alouettes that year, Daryl. Yeah, they had a pretty good team, and again, they had they had some the most trouble with uh, with Saskatchewan, and uh, okay. and they got beaten. Their only loss was to Saskatchewan during the season. They were thirteen and one. They'd uh, added a couple of games onto the schedule, and uh, and they beat Edmonton uh, all six games, which I don't think uh, could ever happen again because they wouldn't play them six times again. But <laughs> they killed the Eskimos that year, and uh, but anyway, <laughs> so they got into the in the playoffs. And actually, uh, they were lucky to. Um, in a way, to win the Western Final. They won the first game by six points in Regina. They came back here, and they were they were fighting at the end. And uh, and actually, if it wasn't for a missed field goal at the end, uh, Calgary won uh, by one point in a two-game total point. So they barely squeaked into the Grey Cup. And, and I think Montreal at that point was a, a better club. They had beaten Calgary in an exhibition game early in the season by one point or something. And But uh, I think... Uh, and again, it, it was the turnaround was in that game. Calgary was the one that made all the turnovers. And uh, like uh, Keith Spath, who had been perfect in the Grey Cup the year before, had uh, four interceptions and a fumble. So it was kind of turnaround. They were the ones that made all the bad mistakes, and, and they lost uh, Montreal. And uh, that's the way things go in football. Well, isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? You know, there, there was a drought, you know, in between Grey Cup appearances for the Calgary Stampeders at that time. But, but I guess, you know, the, the next big move for this, uh, for this team was moving into uh, McMahon Stadium. Uh, talk a little bit about the history of that when they move out of Moada and in, in into McMahon. Well, uh, everybody always used to say, if you read the stories and everything, that uh, Calgary at Moada had a beautiful field the grass was just immaculate but the rest was uh almost uh slums <laughs> the the, the uh, dressing rooms and everything else and even the stands were you know beaten up and falling apart the dressing rooms were terrible and so they um they uh, decided they they had to move in and get a better stadium and um and it was uh people like uh, uh roy dutton and the mcmahon brothers uh george and uh uh, can't even remember his name. George and his brother, anyway. They got okay. together with them and they built the stadium that year in uh, 1960, wasn't it? 1960. Yep. That's, they yeah. played the last exhibition game in uh, prior to uh, the season against Edmonton at, at Moata, and they moved in and played, uh, you know, a week or two later in the first game and in McMahon, and it was considered at the time to be a, you know, first-class stadium, and uh, and so they 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 got in there and uh, they they've 
you know, put a lot of fans in there, and it's been uh, been a good stadium. There's there's all kinds of questions about it now, but they sure. they it's been a pretty good stadium for them for a long time. And and they were a competitive team, you know, for you know from '60s until they won a Stanley uh, Stanley Cup. They won a Grey Cup, obviously, in 1971. They went to the Grey Cup, I believe, you know, in 1968. They lost to the Riders that year, but then that '71 team. And and even though their regular season, and again, I I was pretty young, you know, they were only nine and six and one during the regular season. But by all accounts, that was just a, an awesome defense that really did lead that '71 team. Is that fair? Well, it was the defense was was the strongest part. But actually, if you look at it, Calgary was nine six and one, but they also lost I think four of the last four or five in a row at the end of the season. Oh, okay. They were they struggled into the playoffs, but they came alive in the playoffs and, and really played well. And then the Grey Cup again was another situation where the defense really won it for them. And uh, if you think about that McCoy fumble, uh, like Jerry Keeling was the quarterback, and he had been a defensive back for uh, several years for Calgary back in the early sixties. So anyway, Jerry Keeling, um, he threw a pass downfield and it was intercepted by Dick Thornton for Toronto. And uh, Thornton ran it back, I believe it was something like 45 or 50 yards. And it was Keeling that actually caught him and tackled him on the 11. So if he hadn't got, if it hadn't been for Keeling, they would have scored a touchdown. And with a sloppy field, Calgary probably never would have scored again. But anyway, so they get from the 11. A couple plays later, McQuay runs uh, up, up around the left. Uh, left end and uh, it was Larry Robinson who just uh, passed away last week who was the one who blocked the corner and uh, and caused uh, McQuay to have to cut inside and he slipped on the wet turf and uh, Reggie Holmes uh, recovered the ball Calgary managed to kill off the clock and Calgary won by three so they were in close enough even for a field goal so if it hadn't been for the turnover it may have gone to overtime so uh that was a key. The defense, I mean, led by Wayne Harris, who was the player of the game, and uh, Craig Coinzan and Fred James. Uh, there was a whole bunch on defense that were just outstanding. I mean, that team was uh, one of the, one of the best defensive teams probably Calgary's ever had, and and they were an average or a little better than average offense. But the defense carried them, no question. Yeah, no, I've had so many fans tell me that. Uh, you know, they said that defense in '71 was unbelievable. Let, let's fast forward a little bit to, I believe, 1986, and, and that was the the year of the SOS campaign. And we all remember the pictures of uh, you know Richie Hall in tears. And and this team, Daryl, was so so close to basically just shutting the doors, weren't they? Oh, it was it was scary to think that Calgary could lose a, a one of their longtime uh, uh, franchises and in, in sports here. Uh, and uh, and it was it was a pretty good program that a lot of people came forward and really uh, you know contributed a lot of money and and uh, effort and uh, and it's a good thing they uh, they managed to survive because they started to become pretty good after that they they um, they got into the playoffs and had their first home playoff game in in you know a decade in uh, 1979 or even more than a decade and then they they lost that to Saskatchewan but then they hired Wally. Bono and uh, and of course you know what happened in the nineties they uh, <laughs> you know they they just they were com- uh, contenders every year and everybody says they should have won more Grey Cups but uh, you know they they had a good competitive team solid team as long as he was here until his last year and uh, I mean they won three Grey Cups under him and made it to three others and uh, they had a, a I mean it just became a with Doug Flutie and Jeff Garcia and. And Dave Dickinson and people like that—they've had an incredible run of of strong quarterbacks right up to now with mm-hmm. Bo Levi Mitchell. I mean, they've they uh, 
they probably had uh, more than their share of good ones. Well, isn't that the truth? You know, and, and, and it's a great debate now because, you know, here we are in, in 2018 and we're and we're debating the fact which era was was better. Was it the Wally Buono era or was it the John Huffnagel era? And, and the John Huffnagel era is still going on. So it's really tough to compare. But both of them, you know, from a Stampeder fan perspective, fantastic. Oh, they're, they're, Calgary is lucky to have uh, uh, both Wally and uh, Huffnagel Dickinson, uh, you know, in there. And uh, if you think about it, Calgary, when they won the Grey Cup, like we're in the Grey Cup in 48-49, you think about it, they then went through uh, the whole entire 50s, only made the playoffs twice and lost out in the first round both times. And then you get, uh, so they went all the way through the, from the 50s and they got into the 60s they had a strong team but like you say they only made one gray cup and lost but they had a contender every year then they got in in 70 or 68 70 71 they got in the gray cup and then they went from the rest of the 70s they went six straight years without missing without even making the playoffs at all until 78 i mean that's that's their worst stretch ever in history even though you say the 70s was pretty good with the gray cup but however they went six years without even making the playoffs and then they went into the 80s and made the playoffs five times and lost every time in the semifinals. Didn't even make it to the finals. They they went through a couple of pretty bad decades there. Yeah, uh, you know the 50s, the the 80s, and and uh, a, lot, a good chunk of the 70s. They went uh, without even uh, making to a Grey Cup. So there was a long drought. And I think uh, since 1991, Calgary's had their share of visits uh, to the Grey Cup, and uh, and it's been very competitive uh, amongst the whole league. So when you look back, you know, at the Stampeders, the year of the horse since 1936, and, and this may be an unfair question, is is there one player that stands out above the rest? And, and, you know, we can talk about the best player in Calgary Stampeder history, and, you know, some people will say it's Doug Flutie, some people will say it's it's Wayne Harris, but, you know, I know you wrote a book on, on Sugarfoot Anderson, and we lost Sugarfoot, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. So, uh, you know, is there the one player that stands out for you, Daryl, as, as a historian that really did define what the Calgary Stampeder brand was all about? Well, uh, I think it, it, it boils down to any way you look at it, it boils down to seriously either Wayne Harris or Doug Flutie, in my opinion. Okay. Now, still a, the jury's still out on Bo Levi yet, but uh, I mean, he hasn't done finished his career. But uh, I'd say it comes down to clearly the best defensive player ever was Wayne Harris. The best offensive player for the period of time he was here was Doug Flutie. But, I mean, if you're talking about Sugarfoot, I mean, he was – more than a football player he was such a colorful character if you if you in his book the book i wrote i found all this information back even back to the 40s he was so popular he played one year with the los angeles dons in 1947 he was the most popular player in the team crazy and um and and uh, it was a big shock when uh, they cut him after one exhibition game the next year and uh but he went to every other team he played with in, in California, about four different teams down there, and he was very popular. And even when he came to Calgary, he was arguably the most popular player, him and Woody Strode, for several years. And uh, so, uh, I mean, he did so many other things in his life, just music, and he was a DJ, and uh, he was a worked in the concrete business for years. <laughs> I mean, he did everything you can imagine, this guy, and, and his such a varied life it isn't just as football no. football obviously is the most thing most people would remember but before i even started the book i didn't realize he spent 32 years as a heavy duty mechanic uh, with uh, consolidated concrete and uh, you think about the guy he had an incredible life yeah so he was he was probably the most colorful player ever 
the other two guys, uh, Flutie and Harris, I think were the best offensive and defensive players ever. You, you know, we could talk, uh, you know, for hours just on the history of the Calgary Stampeders. We are running out of time. But, you know, I, I mentioned off the top of the show, you know, you, you sort of call yourself the pigskin pack rat. And, and Stampeder fans know, you know, every year at FanFest, you, you bring out your archives and you bring out, you know, all of your, your history of the team. How many, how many pieces of history do you have on this team now? And, and where, do you, where do you store it all, Daryl? Uh, I just started home. <laughs> uh, and how many I have? <laughs> uh, I I couldn't begin to tell you. I have an awful lot. Is, and, is there uh, one... I, I try to bring out of one, every different event. I try to bring out something that's specific to that event. Like I put a big display at Larry Robinson's memorial. Sure. And it's stuff to, specific to his teammates and his era that he played. So that's what I try to do all the time. Uh, I think that. Is there one piece of memorabilia that, that, that stands out for you the most, uh, that means the most to you, or is that too tough of a question? Uh, it's really hard to say. I happen to have Jeff Garcia's helmet from his from the 1998 Grey Cup game when he oh, won. That's cool. I got him to sign it for me and things like that. I have some of Doug Flutie's jerseys. Uh, nice. Those are some of my favorites. Uh, that's that's great stuff. As I say, we could uh, we could reminisce all day long about the Calgary Stampeders. But Daryl, really appreciate your time. And again, you've re- you've written three books in the Calgary Stampeders, right? Yes. Okay. Well, if, can fans still pick those up? Uh, they still have the Sugarfoot book on at the uh, at the stamp store. The other books are basically out of print. I have copies okay. that I keep for people who are interested in history, but uh, it's basically out of print. Hey, it's it's still fun stuff and and great to reminisce. Daryl, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Jock. If you're a hardcore Stampeder fan, or you know a hardcore Stampeder fan, hunt around for a copy of Daryl's book, Years of the Horse, because certainly lots of great details about the team. It is a really fun read. Hey, that's all the time we have on this week's Calgary Stampeder podcast. Remember, you can find us at all your favorite locations, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and tune in, or just download it from our website as well. If you like what you hear, take some time out to rate the show, and please leave a comment for us. And if you really like the comment, make sure you tell a friend about it, and we would love to hear your ideas for future shows. For Jock Wilson, I'm Dave Rowe. That's all the time we have this week on the Calgary Stampeder Podcast.